What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I'm Turner, and I'm joined via the internet with Rosie. Rosie, what's up, my man? Hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> How you been? <laughs> I've been good. <laughs> we're kind of chuckling. You and I are chuckling because we were just dealing with like 30 minutes of technical crap. That's what we were dealing with, with microphones and internet and whatever else. And all of a sudden, it worked? Yeah, right when I was about <laughs> to give up. <laughs> right when I said, I can't, we can't do this. It ain't going to work. Yeah. God's like, oh, no, I got this. <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. I did oh, oh well. Oh man. It makes me it makes me wonder sometimes what the heck's happening. But uh anyway. Yeah. I was uh I was gonna say I'm really glad that this episode <laughs> that we're gonna talk about tonight is uh has nothing to do with COVID and it's on our own thing. Like we're like we're not gonna mention the stupid coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> that's as far yeah. as it's gonna go <laughs> oh. yeah we're yeah you had asked me the previous time um that we tried recording this if i was over it and i am definitely over it and i was over it from the beginning so <laughs> yeah we're not gonna i don't think we're gonna talk about it ever again yeah that's cool <laughs> unless there's something weird that like dr Lu Wing calls me and tells me about or something you know yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just keep it. Everyone else is talking about it. We don't need to talk about it, too. So Yeah, there's too much out there. Yeah, so we'll get into what we're going to talk about in a minute. But uh, what do you know, man? Hey, did you know that uh, – you know Penn and Teller, right? Yeah. Okay. So in 1995, they made a video game that was never released. What? It's called Desert Bus. <laughs> and uh, – the video game is you literally are a, a driver of a tour bus and you drive from Tucson, Arizona to Las Vegas and it takes eight, <laughs> it takes eight hours um, and the, the, the bus never goes more than 45 miles per hour. <laughs> it's like ultra realistic, I guess. Yeah, that's literally it. You don't, uh, <laughs> you just, you just drive. <laughs> that's funny man <laughs> yeah listen it says finishing a single leg of the trip requires considerable stamina and concentration in the face of arch boredom <laughs> the vehicle constantly lists to the right so players cannot take their hands <laughs> off the virtual wheel swerving from the road will cause the bus's engine to stall fo forcing the player to be towed back to the beginning oh no the game cannot be paused. The bus carries no virtual passengers to add human interest, and there is no traffic to negotiate. The only scenery is the odd sand-pocketed rock or road sign. Players <laughs> can earn a single point for each eight-hour trip completed between the two cities, making a desert bus high score perhaps the most costly in gaming. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they need to release it. I guarantee you, if they released it, especially during now with the with with everybody in home. Yeah, I almost said it. I almost said the c word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, maybe people would. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would play it. I don't know. I probably would. Do you, have you been playing video games a lot? Yeah, yeah, I've been playing. Uh, quite a bit of battlefield five still okay. although they just announced that they're killing the game basically in june what? yeah so why um well anyone that knows battlefield knows that uh battlefield five from the beginning like when they released the launch trailer mm -hmm. 
everyone got mad at them. And then they're like, uh, like <laughs> the CEO of the company came out and was like, well, if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. And so everyone hated them from the start of that. And then it's just been an absolute trash game. Is this and, uh, World War One, two, World War Two? Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've played so, Battlefield Five yet. I think I only played Battlefield One. Yeah, I feel bad because my buddy finally just texted me the other day, and he's like, "Hey, should I buy the game?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm always on it." And uh, then literally, like the next day, he he texted me. He's like, "Hey, I picked it up. I got the copy of it, and uh, I'm installing it." I'm like, oh, the, uh, <laughs> they're going to kill it. There's not going to be any more updates after are, June. Are they just going to leave the servers open so people can play, or are they going to literally like – Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, they're, they're doing one more uh, update, and then they're just not doing any more updates. So there's so. no more secret maps and all that stuff. Yep. What, uh, what's the next Battlefield then? Are, do they have another one coming out? Uh, 2021, but they haven't released any details about it, so we'll see. Hmm. Anyway, so, so you know the story, right? Did did I think I don't know who it was told me that, or I may have read it somewhere about why all these, uh, like like Call of Duty, Battlefield, they all had to go in different directions. They couldn't go modern warfare because of all of the trademark. Yeah, trademark. So like all the weaponry and the tanks and the vehicles and stuff, they wanted their the, the companies that make them wanted their like royalties. So, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So they said, "Oh, well, we'll go. We'll just we'll go to World War One." <laughs> right. And I think Call of Duty went to like outer space or something like that. They went the yeah. other way. And uh, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, but I think they resolved all of that now, and so it's likely that because I know they just re-released Call of Duty again mm-hmm. with the with the maps that were like from like probably twelve years ago. Yeah, I think they re-released uh, Modern Warfare or something. Modern Warfare Two, yeah. Which was a good one. I like that one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, because my son's been just been playing it like crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, the two times that I let my kid, like I, let, I don't get on him for playing video games, is the in the wintertime when he's done with wrestling practice, like wrestling altogether and stuff or like whatever sport he's playing. Yeah. Because uh, he just can't really go out. Like there's not, you know, it's just not a lot to do. It gets dark early and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't mind if they play if he plays that to entertain himself or whatever for a little bit. But um, during this thing, I've just not even <laughs> I haven't even tried. Oh yeah. Like, I've heard of it like three in the morning playing. I'm like, I'm yeah. the worst dad in the world. So. Yeah. Well, I've been. My dad didn't fare much better apparently because I've been doing the same. <laughs> well, you're awesome. So I guess it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right, um, man. You want to jump maybe, in this? Oh, wait. What? what? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, maybe we should talk about what. <laughs> get on with the episode. All right. Hey, we're going to just sit back, grab a coffee, <laughs> and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Yes, you are. This is the All Out War podcast. Hey, I just want to say, too, before we jump in, I meant to say this at the, at, at the front end. Um, I just want to thank our listeners. Mm-hmm. We have some great listeners. I was reached out to on Twitter this week, Instagram, um, 
and just some really, really fantastic, um, super kind, really cool sharing information with us, things that they think that we would, um, you know, that we would uh, want to know about or, you know, if asking us questions about things. So it just, you know, we have just some amazing, we've, we've uh, accumulated some amazing listeners to this podcast. And uh, I just want to say thank you. We don't take you for granted. And you're probably the best listeners in the world. How's that? I would agree. <laughs> and it'd be so cool if we could meet all of you someday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not all of you. We'd let them down. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> they'd, they'd see us and they'd be like, oh, you sound so much. You have a face for radio, right? <laughs> oh, I definitely do. Yeah. Me my too. mom tells me that. Uh, I shaved my head. I thought I'd just throw that out there. Uh, but my kids laughed at me when I came out of the bathroom. So I have this big beard and like really, really close shaved head. Like I like less than a number one. I almost bicked it. Oh, wow. So yeah. I, I'm growing. I'm just letting mine grow. I'm. <laughs> it's a wild mane. <laughs> See, I had to do the opposite because I'm interacting with people now at my job. And um, so I have to be, you know, I have to look presentable and that was the best instead of letting it grow <laughs> until I can get to the to like a haircut person yeah a barber whatever anyways hey man let's uh let's talk about uh government operations that are secret <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to throw it over to you, man. (laughs) All right, cool. So I guess to set this up, um, so obviously these are things, this is by no means, uh, I I was going to say like each of these things could be episodes on their own. And um, I think one of the cool things about all the listeners is that if I'm sure they actually do a lot of like their own research, like you guys listen, I guess you guys, I can say that since you're listening, Uh, like if, there's stuff that's interesting. Go read about it. Cause there's tons of books about everything. Like each of these things that we're going to talk about have books written about them. So we're not going to, you know, do a ton of justice to them, but just to give you like a scope of some crazy stuff that's happened. And, uh, so the reason that, uh, I got, I got this idea and we were talking about what we should do. And I was like, Oh, we need to, we should do this. This will be cool. Um, I had a buddy who, uh, I guess recently just watched Stranger Things, and he texted uh, this group chat we're in. And he was like, "Hey, do you guys know about MK Ultra?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> do you <laughs> know about it? <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "Can you guys believe that's a real thing?" I'm like, "Yeah." Do you, have you really never heard about it? He was like, "No, I haven't." I was like, "Oh my god, dude! Like, uh, <laughs> how do you? How have you not heard about this?" And he's like, "I don't know." And it's funny because he's a uh, yeah. And I'm not going to say anything, but he should be aware of stuff like this. Um, (laughs) And uh, so anyways, he was like, is there any more crazy stuff that the government's done like this? Like, like MK ultra. (laughs) I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) you have no idea. (laughs) And uh, did you ask, did you, you had to have just looked at him and been like smoking that sticky, sticky green stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I told him you better start doing that and then (laughs) dive into some books. I'm going to send him. (laughs) That's right. But, uh, but anyways, so, I thought it'd be a good topic and you hear a lot about um, things like MKUltra. Uh, I think we've talked about it on one of the con- early conspiracy podcasts about uh, 
conspiracy theories and that one happened to be true so i'll just gloss over it but anyway so we're going to do at least this episode and another episode on some other ones that you might have not heard of because i would guess that most of you guys that have listened to this know about mk ultra um mm-hmm. I'll, I'll gloss over it really really briefly and some of the stuff that i'm going to read about will go into detail about certain aspects of it so but basically, MK Ultra starting in I think the the late mid '50s until '72 or '73 was this overarching um, project designation. Like MK Ultra was the the designation that there was hundreds of different sub projects um, that were all run by the CIA, and basically, um, it was looking into using uh i guess different kinds of science so there's a lot of stuff where they're doing mind control so it's like one of the big things i guess i've never seen stranger things but apparently um (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that it's okay Um, my ipad uh i went went off (laughs) yeah it's okay sorry i was i was going through my notes sorry Oh, it's okay. Um, yeah, so MK Ultra is basically this overarching name that they gave, and there's a lot of sub-projects that happen, um, but basically they were worried, um, you know, we World War II ended, we still have to fight the commies, and uh, we're going into the Cold War, and we basically heard that the Russians were using all kinds of crazy technology stuff, like, uh, you know, using hallucinogenic drugs and uh, different kind of fringe psychology um, methods to create, you know, like Manchurian candidates, you know, these kind of people. And uh, so basically we decided we're going to do that stuff <laughs> and uh, try to make sure that we can, you know, uh, counter it or be better than them. So that's kind of what, you know, the the milieu is the, the culture back in, um, you know, almost 20 years um, that the CIA was doing. And so they did a lot of different stuff, um, a lot of different tests, but so that's basically MK Ultra was focused on this big overarching thing with mind control. They used um, different kind of drugs, uh, a lot of hallucinogenics, and uh, so I'm going to read. We're, let um, me ask you a question. I don't know if you yeah, said yeah. this or not because I was uh, trying to pull up my notes while you were starting it off. Sure. Were these scientists? Were these the same guys that were uh, part of uh, Project Paperclip? Um, some of them, yeah. So. Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's a. I'm not sure um, exactly because a lot of the Operation Paper. Uh, so how about we say this? Uh, <laughs> Operation Paperclip is a big one that I think most of you guys have might have heard about. So I didn't choose that. Maybe we can go into that on a different one. But basically, Operation Paperclip was at the end of World War II. Um, Hitler had these crazy scientists, um, mostly rocket scientists. Um, like Warner von Braun was a big mm-hmm. one. And uh, basically, in order to not let all their research go to waste, basically, because a lot of people may not know this, that the Nazis were techno- technologically superior to us in, like, every way, almost every way, to the you know United States. They are probably 10, 15 years ahead uh, te- technologically, um, with their spaceships or rockets in World War II. So basically, you know, we defeat the Nazis 
and we gr- offer immunity to all these high-ranking. Uh, they're mostly like I think it was like 150, somewhere up there in the you know hundreds, uh, you know between 100 and 150, uh, mostly rocket scientists that we granted immunity. We'll say, you know, you come over here, you help us build a, uh, you know give us this technology and we'll not prosecute you for war crimes. <laughs> and so that was operation paperclip is basically we smuggled, um, all these Nazi scientists over. So the reason I asked was because the, one of the things that people talk about a lot with those scientists that came over is that they were uh, mixed up with a lot of them were involved in the occult. Um, and they also were, um, trying to do some really crazy stuff, experiments, that's why it, it would seem like that they would have want to be involved with the MK Ultra stuff with the hallucinogenic drugs and the control mind control and things like that. Uh, yeah. I, uh, well, they definitely were doing a lot of occult stuff. Um, I don't know. So here's another big thing about um, MK Ultra. So as much as, um, and sa- I don't know, it's kind of sad. Uh, I say that like, sadly we don't know the full extent. Um, because basically right before they had to testify um, and when they released, um, I can't remember what, the, I think it's called like the uh, the White Something Commission, um, where the, the Senate opened a commission, you know, an investigation into the CIA. And that's when all these documents became public. Oh, that was um, the Betty White Commission. <laughs> uh, that was a joke. Sorry, sorry I'm, not, I'm not old <laughs> enough to get it. <laughs> oh, man. That's but, uh. But yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but uh, I think it was the Whitehurst. Um, but anyway, so the CIA before that, they destroyed thou- hundreds of thousands of documents. So that's why, really, MK Ultra is just basically the same old stuff. So I don't. There's yeah, yeah. a lot of. But anyway, so that's that operation, and then that's Operation Paperclip. The Nazis brought them over. So. I thought that there'd be some cool ones to dive into some other stuff that people might not have heard of. And uh, so to go off of this, I got uh, I want to read something which was a part of uh, MK Ultra, but this kind of explains a little bit more um, about a certain thing. So this one was called Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> so Midnight Climax, huh? And it is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Well. So listen to this. There's a reason we have explicit rating on this. Podcast. Yeah, is it? Yeah, but this is the government. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So it says on April 13, 1953, CIA Director Alan Dulles authorized Project MK Ultra, the controversial series of experiments aimed at developing mind control techniques and dis- discovering a truth drug. Agents were dosed. Uh, agents dosed subjects with LSD and other psychotropic narcotics, mm. hypnotized them and exposed them to radiation and, and electroshock therapy. Wow. Some of the participants volunteered, but others did so unwillingly and unwittingly. The CIA attempted to destroy all records of the program, leaving behind only seven boxes of official files overlooked during the document purge. Uh, so is it, so basically, this, the only reason that we know about this stuff is because it was an accident that they didn't get destroyed. Oh, wow. So it oh, says... Wow. Yeah. But a few stories survived. One of the strangest revolves around a series of uncontrolled experiments 
named Operation Midnight Climax. (laughs) CIA operatives involved with Midnight Climax hired prostitutes in San Francisco, and it also happened in New York, to lure clients back to brothels. Once there, the agents secretly drugged their targets and watched them engage in sexual activities from behind a two-way mirror. Hmm. America's spies began searching for mind control substances during World War II. As the conflict raged, the Office of Strategic Services, the precursor to the CIA, implemented a truth drug program in hopes of discovering a means to coerce prisoners of war to reveal their secrets during uh, interrogations. Hmm. The OSS and original. The OSS initially toyed with a concentrated liquid form of marijuana rather than the newly discovered LSD. Um, George White. It's so funny. It's like full circle, dude, because now we have all these uh, vape cartridges with liquid uh, THC. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And and the honey pots. What do you mean by that? (laughs) Well, just the honey pot. That's basically what they were trying to do, right? Get them in a sexually compromised position and uh, and then be able to hold it over their head, right? No, 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 no. This was uh, they did so they did this to regular Americans, citizens, yeah, in order to uh, to see if the techniques would be able to be used. So it wasn't against they weren't trying to blackmail anybody. Okay, so it's almost like the pre honeypot, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, they're trying to figure out basically if the techniques, they're trying to figure out if they could use this in the, I guess, for future funny potting, I guess, maybe. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll keep going on. As World War II ended and the Korean War intensified, the CIA and the Pentagon grew concerned over reports that foreign intelligence agencies had developed brainwashing methods of their own. These rumors and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Sidney Gottlieb, and this is the guy who got really thrown mm. under the bus um, by in all the documents, because basically his name was the only name that was not redacted. Oh wow! From the things, yeah. Wow. So Sidney Gottlieb, the head of the chemical division of the CIA's technical services division, urged Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA, mm-hmm. to approve testing LSD as a potential mind control or brainwashing substance. Dulles agreed. Um, so this keeps uh, – let's see. So, uh, okay, Gottlieb brought White, who is a uh, – a guy that worked for him, a rock'em sock'em cop nut overly carried away with playing spook into the program as a consultant. Uh, White started in Green- Greenwich Village where he administered LSD, knockout drops, and marijuana to his unwitting guests using food, drinks, and cigarettes, hmm. then then tried to get them to talk. What's a, is, a, is a knockout drop? Is that like uh, something you put in a drink? Yeah, I assume they're probably using some sort of like Roofing. something like GHB, yeah, Rufi. Yeah. Um, so it said it didn't take White long to veer the experiments in the direction of illicit sex. Hmm. He transferred to San Francisco in 1955 and set up a brothel in the city's Telegraph Hill neighborhood. Gosh. He wanted he wanted the spot to have a quote <laughs> a French whorehouse look. <laughs> the operated operative decorated the walls with. Uh, some French guys' prints, uh, <laughs> you know, paintings, photos of can-can dancers, and images of women in bondage. 
To complete the setup, he installed two-way mirrors for agents to sit behind and watch. It was supposed to look rich, but it was furnished like crap. <laughs> One narcotics <laughs> agent who frequently frequented the location told this guy. Um, the prostitutes picked up the Johns, who are the just regular guys, at local bars and brought them back to the makeshift brothel. Um, while uh, it said his fellow... <laughs> uh, okay, there's a spelling error in this article, but uh, it said, uh, while his fellow agents preferred men from working class or financially disadvantaged backgrounds, the idea was that the subjects with limited social status would attract the least attention and be less likely to cause any issue. Hmm. So they're going after these poor people. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a really similar tactic though, isn't it? To the MK. Remember they would find, uh, compromising people that were easily comprom you know, that would kind of down on their luck, uh, homeless people even. Yeah. This is part of MK ultra. Okay. So it's a, they're just kind of using the same, uh, technique, I suppose for that, for finding the people these. Yeah. Hmm. What's crazy to me when I think so, about this, there's two things. I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, go ahead. Um, one is that this is the 50s, the early mm -hmm. 50s too. It's not the late 50s. Yeah. And the drug use was very advanced. Like they, like I didn't even realize that these drugs were that accessible at this point. And then secondly, can, this is our federal government. They're putting, yeah. putting up a whorehouse in a neighborhood. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was you lived in that neighborhood? Exactly. And all yeah. of a sudden there's like a brothel like right down the street from your house, you know? And it's because uh, of the government? <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just was just crazy. No, yeah, yeah. I mean it, it is crazy to think about. And I, I do want to pause and maybe take a step back. So that's basically it. So that's basically the story is that they uh set up whorehouses agents watched them they went uh, you know they hired these prostitutes to go out bring these guys back they drugged them beforehand mm. and i was reading something else is that basically they tried these techniques i guess like what you said um to honey potting um you know they're trying to so basically the cia is trying to find a drug that's like makes people talk right that's what they. That's what they're looking for. This wonder drug that they can give someone, like the truth serum. Yeah. What's the combination? Is it going to be sex and alcohol and a little bit of drugs right. and maybe it's something special? Right. What's it going to be, so they can get information? The whole goal is to get another spy in a situation and then work it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. So if they and uh, I did read this that. Um, so that's basically it. But. Um, for that particular thing. And mm. they found that, uh, <laughs> so they tested when these men were more likely to actually, uh, start talking about like their personal lives and, you know, like start actually spilling the beans mm -hmm. and they found it actually happened right after sex. Oh yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't before it was after. And so obviously they're going to use stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so there's like a real natural thing that happens. Endorphins. And right. comfort and you feel like a man after a sexual encounter like that he feels like he's uh dominant like not dom not that's probably the worst word he's succeeded he's he feels like internally he's he feels like the the way that those hormones and endorphins and things that rush um give him a confidence 
And so he's feels more accomplished and successful. I don't know. I don't know how to phrase it all. This is just from experience. Um, but also just knowing like what happens in such in a situation like that. So it makes sense that they would want to talk, that they would start to open up. You know what I mean? They feel less vulnerable too. Sure. Yeah. Cause they've just, exactly. they just been in a super vulnerable situation. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> you don't get much vulnerable than completely without clothes on in front of another person that you don't even really know. Yeah, exactly. So I do want to, I, I want to stress that, um, one of the biggest things that I, I think is important to stress is that, um, by us talking about these things, we're not necessarily, I mean, the, I was going to say, I don't want people to think that like all of a sudden we can't trust, you know, <laughs> our government and like the CIA and they need to be brought down. We're like, we need to, we're, we're not calling for like any kind of <laughs> revolt or oh, yeah. anything because the CIA and the defense department, they do a lot of stuff, um, obviously that we don't know about. Um, but there's, you know, they do, they do do a lot of good stuff and they do keep us safe. So don't, you know, I, I think it, we have to caution and remind people that, you know, they're, they do a lot of really, really good stuff and they do keep us safe and we're not just bashing them to bash them. We're just talking about stuff. Yeah. Um, of course. So, I, and, I, and just, to like, I want to add to that, that the tactics that are required for our enemies, they change with the enemy. Um, when you, when we're talking about Russians or Germans for that matter, um, they're, they're first world countries at that point, you know, um, before they got declined into second world countries after the war and stuff. But, um, they also were, they were using the same techniques and similar techniques versus the war on terror, for instance, you know, against Al Qaeda or ISIS, very different tactics. You know, you're not going to go and honeypot necessarily, although it does happen. Um, it's just a different way um, to get information, to know what the enemy's doing. Sure. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's why they kind of had to go to those levels and experiment in those with those things. And I'm not, I'm not condoning it at all. Like I'm not saying it was okay, um, but I am just saying that. Look, when you got to win. You got to go to different. You got to go to some dark places sometimes. Yeah, I, I think the key point is what you said is, and how actually that article I read started it off was that uh, we found out the Russians were doing this, and so we don't want to be left behind. So if they're going to be doing stuff like this, it's only, you know, so right. <laughs> say if nor- if we didn't have any nukes right now, and we knew that North Korea, you know, our enemy China or North Korea are working on nuclear technology, we would be really stupid not to be doing stuff. Right. And so there's a difference when it goes into unsuspecting people and doing all this kind of stuff. But anyways, I just wanted to put that <laughs> disclaimer out that we're not just straight up bashing these people that, you know, did this stuff. <laughs> it was, I mean, too, think about it too. Like think of the guy that had to, his assignment was to go sit on the other side of the glass. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Hey, hey Johnson, you're up. Wait, I don't really want to go to the whorehouse tonight. Hey, it's for God and country. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We got to get rid of the commies, Johnson. Get in there. All right. You got to. You got to do it. All right. So here's another one. Okay. That it's called MK Often. <laughs> this one, 
again, and as we start talking about some of these other ones, particularly about the from the CIA, obviously, I set it up. A lot of the files are deleted, or not deleted. Well, I guess permanently deleted, but um, they're destroyed, uh, so they say. And so a lot of this stuff is, you know, some of these just don't have a ton of information. Like there's missing parts and stuff like that. But anyways, so this one is called MK Often. And this is part of another one of MK Ultra's, you know, underneath that big branch. Mm-hmm. So it says uh, MK Often and Black Magic Mind Control. Oof. MK often would be a joint effort between the CIA and the De- uh, Department of Defense, and it would be perhaps one of the most bizarre of the currently known sub-projects of MK Ultra, it, as it would be alleged to include the use of occultism and ritual magic. According to the Department of Defense, however, the goal of MK often and its sister project, MK Search, was to, quote, test the behavioral and toxicology reports of certain an- drugs on animals and humans. Uh, Gordon Thomas, the British investigative journalist and author, would claim that Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, chief of wait, wait. the... Did you say Gottlieb? Wasn't yeah. Wasn't that name in, used in the other one? Yeah, the, yeah this same, is the guy that was guy? in charge. He was the guy who was in charge of all of MKUltra. Okay. okay, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. Uh, yeah. Sin, Dr. S- I'm a little slow on the uptake. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Gore, uh, so claimed that Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, chief of the CIA's technical services branch, used Operation Often to explore the world of black magic and harness the forces of darkness and challenge the concept that the inner reaches of the mind are beyond reach. As part of Operation Often, Dr. Gottlieb and other CIA employees visited with and recruited fortune tellers, palm readers, clairvoyants, astrologists, mediums, psychics, specialists in demonology, witches and warlocks, Satanists, and (laughs) other occult practitioners, and more. Uh, It says this uh, Thomas, who's uh, this investigative journalist, would go on in detail, go on to detail an event where apparently the CIA in 1972 even approached the Monsignor, who's a uh, he was in charge of exorcisms for the Catholic Archdiocese of New York, Whoa. who refused to cooperate. <laughs> so <laughs> He didn't want to get jumped up in on that noise. Right. It said, by May 1971, Operation Often had three astrologers on its payroll, whose specific task was to predict the future. By 1972, two Chinese-American palmists, who are people that read palms, had been employed to probe how hand-reading could be in developed for intelligence work said research was conducted into black magic the scientific engineering institute funded a course in sorcery at the university of south carolina he was another investigative journalist and researcher alex constantine would also discover another significant cia scientist involvement in occult research under operation often Dr. Martin T. Orne's testimony also adds some interesting history to the MKUltra project that would other be, otherwise be lost, including MK Often's possible connections to the forming of CIA cults like the Finders in Jonestown. Hmm. Uh, so this is that's some other stuff. We can talk whole episodes about that. Yeah. And the moving of MKUltra to private facilities to 
avoid government oversight. So this is some from this article. The secondary source of funding for Dr. Orne's work in hypnotic suggestion and dissolution of memory is eerie in the cult child abuse context. So some of you might, uh, so this is where a lot of uh, the stuff like we did the episode with uh, John Brisson about the finders and he was talking a lot about, um, you know, that cult with the CIA connections or possible CIA connections and all the intelligence stuff. This is where a lot of that, you know, same kind of stuff comes out of um, when people did more research. But this is, uh, it is the stuff that CIA was, you know, working on hypnotic suggestion and disillusion of memory. So it said, uh, this was the year that the CIA's office of research and development geared up to study, uh, parapsychology in the occult the investigation dubbed project often chickwit uh it's a hyphenated gave yeah. rise to the establishment of a social laboratory by se scientist sei scientists at the university of south carolina a college class in black witchcraft demonology and voodoo so hmm, man this the cia started <laughs> up a class at this college <laughs> Uh, black voodoo. Dr. Orrin with SEI funding marked out his own mind control corner at the Jeez. University of Pennsylvania in the early 1960s. In a letter to Dr. Orrin, Marx once reminded that he disavowed knowledge of his particip participation in the one mind-wrecking experimental subproject. Orrin later recanted, admitting that he'd been aware of the true source of funding all along. Hmm. Testimony before the 1975 seven church commission uh that's the one that's the one i missed uh i thought it was something else i think i said white but it's the church church committee gotcha uh, testimony before the 1977 church committee's probe of the cia hinted that as of 1963 a scientific squalor of the cia's mind control regimen codenamed mk ultra had abandoned military and academic laboratories fearing exposure and mushroomed into cities across the country Hmm. Um, it, uh, <laughs> confirmation arrived in 1980 when Joseph Holsinger wow. in eight it just keeps going like we're talking like 30 years yeah uh, confirmation arrived in 1980 when jo Joseph Holsinger an aide to the late congressman Leo Ryan who was the one that was murdered by a death squad at Jonestown he was the one that went to mm -hmm. go investigate and try to bring people back Yep. exposed the formation of eccentric religious cults by the CIA. Holsinger maintained that a CIA rear support base had been in collusion with Jones to perform medical and mind control experiments at the People's Temple. Mm -hmm. Rather than terminating MKUltra, the CIA shifted its programs from public institution to private cult groups, including the People's Temple. So there's a lot more stuff there, but that's basically... So MK often is kind of giving you a, a, some more scope of, you know, these projects, um, which is pretty crazy to think about that the um, CIA is looking into witchcraft. They're hiring astrologists. Yeah. They're uh, doing all this kind of stuff um, to. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's like get the edge. It's like, um, what was that? Uh, like sometimes our science fiction movies are not, so far off you know what i mean mm -hmm. like um there a lot of times these some of these science fiction movies that we see are based out of some kind of um 
like nugget of reality that's and they just build a story around it um when i, I was thinking about um they were trying to do astral projecting um trying to learn how to do that so that they could uh what was it oh shoot uh goats what is it the um uh the men who stare at goats yeah. i think uh that's what was that project called uh it is yeah i didn't talk about that one because i think a lot of people probably know about that one but yeah exactly they're doing remote viewing um remote viewing not astral projecting star, sorry yeah uh that was operation stargate i think that was that's what that one was, oh, called. was it? okay but well, i guess my point is is that Wait, like yeah, they're, they're gonna just go anywhere they need to go to try and get the edge so that they can so that they can know that the go defeat the enemy you know and if they can take palm reading and they can teach a an agent how to recognize a palm, they can tell uh, maybe they can tell about the person's character or what their <laughs> weaknesses or flaws are based on that palm design or whatever of the uh, outline. I mean, I don't know how you could do all that, but I'm just trying to make it make sense. I don't know what a warlock would need to be <laughs> for. But I guess, you know, when you're starting to um, look at a, a genre and see what you can pull out of a genre for your own benefit, you're going to go every, to the fullest extent. So we'll we'll look at New Age paganism over here, and then we'll look at Satanism over here and everything in between. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think um, many people may not know this, and this is um, just an interesting thing to think about, is – one of the things that the CIA is really known for is they use stuff that may be available, but they use it in a way that people don't know about. Mm -hmm. So it's like, um, so yeah, so you might be thinking, well, why do we need to read Palm? Or, you know, how can that possibly help, like a Palm reader? But, you know, there's the, you know, the, the CIA and the way of the, these thinking differently. Um, and because you, you have to remember they're they're not dealing with uh, specific like the NSA is all signals intelligence so they gather signals that's um, you know nowadays that's computer you know it's that's digital. all yeah digital uh, stuff like that but intelligence and actually recruiting spies so they're you know we we may never actually know since ne neither of us work for the CIA um, or do we no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah how um, the stuff may be used. So what's crazy to think about is, you know, we may, the world may never really know that maybe one of these, <laughs> something that they learned from a Chinese American uh, palm reader might've stopped a terrorist attack somehow. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't so, want to attribute to divination and witchcraft and all that, but no, there might be like, yeah, they're like, Hey, we do, you know, there's this technique that we do that does this or there's something to it and um you know if you read about a uh, project i think it's stargate the one with the the many steric goats the guys who did rem remote viewing they did get some stuff right they did they got a lot of stuff excuse me that was wrong um but they did get some stuff right and there was um psychic abilities or, so i guess i should back it up if anyone doesn't know, remote viewing is basically where they would get these people who were um, psychically inclined mm -hmm. to think about, uh, basically they would put them in a room 
and they'd say, start thinking about like Russian submarines or some, you know, I don't know exactly how they would do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And these guys would tell them, oh yeah, there's like a ship going from this place to that place and it's carrying these weapons. And then they, you know, go out there and search and there actually is a ship going from this place to that place, but the name's a little different and it's actually carrying exactly what they said. So they were remote viewing is basically mental projection and, uh, so some of the stuff they did get right, but which is uh, the whole nother episode, like how that works. I wonder if our old, our ex uh, guest, ex guest, our former guest, uh, Doctor Heiser, has ever done anything on Fringe Pop, his his podcast about that. You know, like the whole psychic stuff. Oh yeah, um, he might have. I haven't. We probably should out. check. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's another interesting thing that uh, one of the ones that. Uh, you might have not thought about, and I think this is a good example. So it says a CIA memorandum for MK ultra sub project one forty two describes a control of animals through stimulation of brain electrodes. The overall goal was clear to control the mind and behavior and to create disassociation through the combination of drugs, hypnosis, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the ability to create limited controlled amnesia through a variety of methods was a primary goal of mind control. It said brain electrode experiments were also conducted on humans. Dr. Jose Delgado, a neuroscience, neuro, neurosurgeon and professor at Yale, received funding for brain electrode research on adults and children. He was able to control the movements of his animal and human subjects by pushing buttons on a remote transmitter box. In one paper... Dr. Delgado describes the cats as mechanical toys. Mm. Um, so I think that that's a uh, really interesting thing. It's just this little snippet. Uh, obviously, it's talking about some specific subproject. Um, and I just wanted to read that because one of these other things that is really interesting is this project. We were talking about you know how the CIA thinks outside of the box. There's a project called Acoustic Kitty. <laughs> which basically they took this cat and um, they hooked up a microphone in its ear and put a wire down the back of its spine, like a transmitter wire. They, and they installed this and they installed a power source uh, going down the front. These are all underneath the skin. And um, so basically, and then they, they spent five years and 20 mil, about $20 million to do this Jeez. project. Where they took this cat and <laughs> I know the basically made it a microphone, uh, like and, a spy cat. Yeah, and they trained it to go do commands, or they they tried to, you know, so they could say, you know, basically tell this cat, all right, you're going to go down the hall. And uh, so they the first time they actually implemented it, there's these two, um, I guess, adversaries or people that they wanted to listen to the conversation, and so they had the cat uh, go across the street. <laughs> they released it across the street and it was going to go run and uh, go, you know, on its mission. Close, yeah. On its mission. And it got run over by a taxi. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. That poor cat went through hell, man. He got operated on. Got yeah. a, its spine had a wire down it, man. That thing was probably, he was probably like, but, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to run under this, under this taxi cab. Right. <laughs> yeah so um i thought that was a really interesting thing that uh you know so they're they're talking about well you, you, yeah not only electric but they 
Go ahead. You, you know all the pigeons are fake, right? They're all spying on us. Oh, no. Have you heard that, that conspiracy theory? Oh, the, the birds aren't real. Birds aren't real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard that one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I've got another one. Well, hold that on, because I'm not okay. done. I wanted, okay. I wanted to talk about that one for just a second more. Sure. The, so they would take... Uh, and try and control animals with different types of electrodes and uh, like implants or something like that in their brains. Yeah. So basically what they did is they set up uh, – because, you know, uh, modern science, science back then even, um, you know, certain parts of the brain we know exactly right. this controls um, this and the brain like, – Basically, all it is is a a mass of uh, tissue, and it's electronic. Uh, this is very simplified, but as far as my knowledge is that it's basically just electronic uh, signals that get sent from one part of the brain to the other. You know, move your arm, move your left arm, move it this degree and that stuff. And so the brain just uh, sends these and decodes them. And so they basically knew, okay, if we send... If we send a electric, um, right? It, it mimics signal. the it mimics the brain exactly. Yeah. So or the mind, if you will. Right. So they did. Yeah. It, it, good. Good call, uh, catch on that. We didn't fully talk about that. So they did have the acoustic kitty, which is one thing. But they did also, like what I read, actually do implantations on cats and dogs, and were able to, uh, like with a remote control, make them walk around. And, you know, Jeez. they could control all of their limbs. And That's so freaky. Yeah. Can you, I wonder what it felt like for the animal. Like if it felt like, cause you know, it's not initially thinking I want to walk and then all of a sudden it's walking. Right. 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 Cause your consciousness would be, it can't override your consciousness. Can, can it? Like, I, I don't know. It's just kind of scary to think about. Yeah. And now we got like Elon Musk who wants us to like put these nanoparticles in our brains and hook us up to the Neuralink. <laughs> yeah. What in the world? Uh, I ain't yeah. doing that, man. No, not me. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I don't, you know, I'm not into that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear it. Um, so I was going to say this, the next one I have is pretty interesting. And I think, um, this just recently got released, uh, like within the last couple of years, I think, but, uh, I just started seeing articles for it in the last couple of weeks. So this is something that actually doesn't deal with the CIA. I guess it does, but <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit different, but this is a more recent one. And I thought it was really interesting to see a different side of, um, some projects that, you know, it's in a different vein. So okay. it says, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read this article. There have been moments, a few moments in the past few years when a conspiracy theory is suddenly demonstrated to be based in fact. Once upon a time, it was an absurd suggestion that the NSA had data taps in AT&T buildings across the country, which was true. Uh, just like Snowden's revelations confirmed those conspiracy theories, a new a news report in February confirmed some theories about Crypto AG, a Swiss cryptography hmm. vendor. Hmm. Uh, 
So it says, the whole story reads like a Cold War era spy thriller. And like many of those novels, it all starts with World War II. As a result of the of a family investment, Boris Haglund found himself at the helm of uh, Akti Borlaget Cryptograph, later uh, renamed to Crypto AG in 1952, a, which was a Swedish company that built and sold cipher machines that competed with the famous Enigma machine. At the start of the war, Haglund decided that Sweden was not the place to be and moved to the United States. This was a fortuitous move as it allowed Haglund to market his company's C-38 cipher machines to the U.S. military. That device was designated the M-209 by the Army and became the standard in-the-field encryption machine. Hmm. In an interesting intersection of history, the M-209 caught the interest of Dennis Ritchie and Robert Morris, both Unix pioneers who worked at Bell Labs. Together with James Reeds, they wrote a paper on the statistical crypt analysis of the cipher and concluded that their technique could decipher an unknown message of at least 2,500 characters with almost perfect accuracy in just a few minutes on the PDP-11. So basically, as a different piece of thing, you have these two computer programmers who work on... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I kicked my chair. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, so you have these two uh, computer programmers back in the day. Um, you know, computers were a lot different back then. Yeah. And they wrote and they wrote this paper where they were able to come up with a technique that basically decoded uh, with perfect accuracy up to twenty five hundred characters. They could break this encryption. Wow. So they so they wrote this paper. And it says, Rich, so I just wanted to explain what all that stuff I just read. Yeah. Richie's written recollection of the matter involves a relevant anecdote. As part of preparing the paper for publishing, the authors also submitted it to the NSA for review and made enough of an impression that Richie and Morris got a visit from a quote unquote retired gentleman from the NSA sometime around 1978. Yeah. According to Richie, Quote, the agent didn't particularly care about the M209. What they did care about was the method that Reeds had discovered. Uh, what they did care about was that the method that Reeds had discovered was applicable to the systems that were in current use by particular governments. Mm. And that even though it was hard to imagine that these people would find the paper and relate it to their own operations, which used commercially available crypto machines. The result of that visit was the decision to delay publication indefinitely. As cool as it, uh, uh, I'll just go ahead. As cool as it is to see some Unix heroes show up unexpectedly, perhaps the most interesting element of this anecdote is the reasoning for the unofficial request not to publish. Other governments are using commercially available crypto machines that were vulnerable to this attack, and the NSA wanted to keep that information quiet. Hmm. That's after cool. the su- yeah, after the success of the M209, Hagelin moved back to Sweden and reestablished his company there before finally moving himself and the company to Switzerland. The CIA and the NSA, which was then called the AFSA, kept tabs on the activities activities of Hagelin and Crypto AG. Oh, I bet a, they did. <laughs> yeah, a new machine was under development, which was called the CX52. And that worried the spooks back in the States. Hmm. It says, you see, even during the war, it had been discovered that a C-38 
38 encoded message could be broken in just a few hours. The new CX-52 was extremely difficult to decrypt, meaning that the NSA would lose all would lose their all-seeing eye into communications around the world. The NSA had a secret weapon in the form of William Friedman, who was a chief cryptologist for the NSA, as well as a personal friend to Hagelin. In 1951, at the Cosmos Club in Washington, D.C., Friedman made an informal proposal to Hagelin. Crypto AG would restrict the sales of newer, more secure machines to a list of a approved customers in the U.S. would then reimburse him for the lost sales. The men shook hands on the gentleman's agreement and then waited for the slow process of making that agreement official. Hmm. So the wheels of government turned slowly indeed, and it was February 1955 before the agreement was finalized. So that's nearly five years. Wow. In addition to the money and sales restrictions, the NSA would produce the instruction manuals for the improved machines. Hmm. So... Not only that, it's been suggested that the NSA produced manuals included intentionally misleading instructions intended to weaken the encryption of crypto AG machines for specific users. In 1967, crypto AG released the H460, an electronic encryption machine. This should have represented another massive leaf leap in encryption strength over the older mechanical models, and it likely would have been such a leap had the NSA not been the primary designer of the new system. How do they compromise the security of the system? Uh, so this is going to get a little bit technical, but it's, it's interesting. Uh, it appears that they manipulated the random number generator at the heart of the system such that at a known interval, the random numbers, quote-unquote, would repeat. The list of approved customers received units without the compromise generator, but H460 devices sent to the rest of the world had this intentional weakness built in from the factory. Mm. When the NSA received a communication that had been encrypted using a weakened H460, they could decrypt it in seconds rather than months. Wow. So it's like a back door. That's exactly it. Yep. So they built a back door and um knowing the the United States uh it, it's going to go into different uh, I I won't speculate too much. It says though it wasn't entirely without conflict, the agreement between the NSA and Haglin lasted until his retirement. Boris Haglin had planned to pass his comp- the company to his son, Bo Haglin. But Bo died in a car crash in Washington, D.C. area in 1970. Oh, did he? Hmm. Shortly after this event, Boris Haglund stepped down from the leadership of the company, and a buyout of the company was carried out. A series of shell companies were used to mask the identity of the new owners of Crypto AG, but recently declassified documentation reveals the truth of the matter. Crypto AG (laughs) was purchased in a joint venture between the CIA and the West German BND. Oh, I never saw that coming. Yeah. From 1970 until 2018, one of the foremost providers of encryption equipment for governments around the world was secretly a covert operation run by these two intelligence agencies. (laughs) This operation was eventually known as Rubicon. um, The details of Rubicon were chased down by a group of journalists as well as the Crypto Museum in the Netherlands. Most of the information presented here is distilled from the Crypto Museum and the Washington Post story, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
It says an unexpected benefit was that Crypto AG was a profitable business. The paperwork of the business was handled by the BND, who then shared profits with the CIA. Hmm. Excuse me. This arrangement persisted until 1993 when the CIA bought out the German involvement in the project. By this time, the financial profitability of Crypto AG had faded, but many governments were still using their projects, um, their products. So here's a couple of real-world uses, which is interesting. It says, we have a few glimpses into the intelligence that Crypto AG helped to gather. In 1978, the Egyptian president came to Camp David to negotiate a peace accord, and his communications were, quote-unquote, secured using Crypto AG hardware. In 1979, after the Iranians captured American hostages, President Carter, President Carter's negotiations relied heavily on intelligence captured through Crypto AG hardware. An example that included some fallout was the bombing of a West Berlin club in 1986. Hmm. Because of this program, the NSA was able to conclusively determine that Libya was behind the bombing. The decision was made to be precise when revealing what the U.S. knew about the bombing coordination, giving hints to the nature of NSA capabilities. Hmm. So that's one of those really interesting things that is uh, scary uh, to think about is when the government can't say uh, how they got the information and they just say you need to trust us because they don't want to obviously give up Right. The fact that they have all these backdoors <clears throat> and all these encryption things. Well, what's cool is that, I mean, for us, what's cool, because we're American and it totally helped us, but was we created we created the actual machines that would do the encrypting, like, you know, that would de decrypt, I guess. Was decrypt, is that a right word? Um, uh, well, yeah, it was a Swiss company, but yeah, we owned it, basically. Yeah, we were controlling it for sure. But uh, the word Rubicon is really interesting that they would use, they would call it Rubicon, the, the operation or whatever. Right. Um, so there's a couple definitions of Rubicon, but it's referenced to, a, it's definitely a strategy and, and like connected to like a game or uh, some kind of competition. But the best definition I came across was it's an idiom or, or the idiom crossed the Rubicon has an ancient origin to cross the Rubicon means that you make a decision or take a step that commits one to a specific course of action from which there is no turning back. The expression cross the Rubicon refers to a decision made by Julius Caesar. So the, the whole idea is let these people, let the, let our enemies speak in this encryption and we know what it means, but they don't know. We know what it means. <laughs> exactly so f allow them to keep making these decisions and going in the course that they are but but it's they're going to get to a point where there's no return and that's when we got them mm -hmm. isn't that exactly isn't that crazy yeah and so i mean and it, this is interesting now that it just got um i think it said 2018 was uh just basically when this the first information started getting declassified but um it's really in, interesting to uh, to think about all this kind of stuff and um, the stuff that we don't know about again. Yeah. Um, so it's not to make you guys paranoid, but uh, you should be a little paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so if, you, if it, you don't have anything to be 
paranoid of or about, then you're, if your conscience is clear, right? If you're upstanding citizen, you don't have to worry about anything. Like I always joked around with, and I hate it. I hate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hate my privacy being infringed on. Um, 100% hate it. But I always joked around. I was like, if they ever tap my computer or use the Alexa to listen in, you know what they're going to hear? <laughs> you know what they're going to find? Jesus. Right. They're going to like look through all my files on my computer and they're going to see about, about 800 sermon notes, you know, <laughs> from sermons that I gave over the last 15 years. They're just going to find stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know, even if they go to my browsing record or whatever history or whatever, they're not going to find anything. Well, since we've been doing this podcast, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know if I'd be uh, that cautious anywhere. Yeah. It's like, uh, but, who is Jack Parsons, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. start doing secret society stuff when we were doing all that research. I mean, you got to do the research somehow, right? So yeah, exactly. But, um, I guess I could use my kid's computer, but, um, yeah, get them on the list. <laughs> get them on the list. Yeah. But yeah, so but I love I love the fact that they so the strategy behind it I love. I love the fact that they got in ahead oh. of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do want to say one thing though. I do disagree with you about the um you know what? No, I'm not gonna say that on public. I agree. It is <laughs> I have nothing to hide, NSA, FBI. I have nothing to hide. I totally am cool with you guys. I there's nothing here. <laughs> so go on. <laughs> on the record. On the record. Oh, that's so funny. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, our phones are tracking us anyways. So everything. They listen, they do all that. Oh yeah. Um if you ever wondered why you get like um you you talk about something with a friend and then you see an ad pop up on Instagram or Facebook. That's why <laughs> yep. they're listening. There's keywords. Boom. Yeah. Pop up. I was going to say, this is one thing I'm not as big as probably I should be a bad about it. Um, but Hey, here's a call to action. If you want to hear, I do know quite a bit about privacy and security. If you guys want to hear a podcast, we could totally do one on privacy, keeping yourself secure. Um, mm. some good techniques. If you guys want to know about that, maybe let us know. That'd be cool. I think That'd we be, should just in general. If you guys want to, yeah, if you guys want to hear about that. I want cool. to. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do an episode on privacy. I mean, I need, you know, I'm still waiting on my Faraday bag or whatever it's called. <laughs> Faraday, yeah. <laughs> um, well, here, how about to make you, uh, let's read about um, something else, another different operation. This was uh, to, you know, we always got to throw a little bit of conspiracy uh, current stuff going on. Yeah. So this was um, something people, you might have heard about. But um, Operation Mockingbird. Mm. So, af quote, after 1953, uh, yeah, it doesn't even set it up. The network was overseen by Alan W. Dulles, director of the CIA. By this time, Operation Mockingbird had a major influence, had a major influence over 25 newspapers and wire agencies. The usual methodology was placing reports developed from intelligence provided by the CIA to witting or unwitting reporters. Those reports would then be repeated or cited by the preceding reporters, which in turn would then be cited throughout the media wire services. Hmm. So this was, um, says the, the Office of Policy Coordination was funded by siphoning off funds intended for the Marshall Plan 
which was the rebuilding of Europe by the U.S. after World War II. Some of this money was used to bribe journalists and publishers. So in 2008, the New York Times wrote, During the early years of the Cold War, prominent writers and artists from Arthur Schlesinger Jr. to Jackson Pollock were supported, sometimes lavishly, always secretly, by the CIA as part of its propaganda war against the Soviet Union. It was perhaps the most successful use of quote-unquote soft power in American history. The CIA, a CIA operative told Washington Post editor Philip Graham in a conversation about the willingness of journalists to peddle CIA propaganda and cover stories. He said, you could get a journalist cheaper than a good call girl for a couple hundred dollars a month. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, famed Watergate reporter Carl Bernstein wrote in 1977, more than this is uh, quite a bit. I'm going to read from this guy. More than 400 American journalists in the past 25 years have secretly carried out assignments for the Central Intelligence Agency, according to documents on file at CIA headquarters. In many instances, CIA documents show journalists were engaged to perform tasks for the CIA with the consent of the management managements of America's leading news organizations. Among the executives who lent their cooperation to the agencies were the heads of CBS, uh, the Time, the, the I don't know what magazine. Oh, Time, Time, Time magazine. Sorry, <laughs> brain fart. Just a small magazine that might yeah. you might have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> the heads of CBS, Time Magazine, the New York Times, the Louisville Courier Jour Journal, and the Copley News Service. Other organizations which cooperated with the CIA include ABC, A NBC, the Associated Press, UPI, Reuters, Hearst Newspaper, Scripps Howard, Newsweek Magazine, the Mutual Broadcasting System, the Mi Sorry, the Miami Herald and the old Saturday Evening Post in New York Tr Herald Tribune. There is ample evidence that America's leading publishers and news executives allowed themselves and their organizations to be. So this is uh, some of this guy, Carl Bernstein, let them allowed themselves and their organizations to become handmaidens to the intelligence services. Let's not pick on some poor reporters, for God's sake, William Kobe. <laughs> explained at one point to the ch church committee's investigators, let's get to the managements. The CIA even ran formal, a formal training program in the 1950s to teach his agents to be journalists. Intelligence officers were taught to make noises like reporters, explained a high CIA official, and were then placed in major news organizations with help from management. Once a year during the 1950s and early 1960s, CBS correspondents joined the CIA hierarchy for private dinners and briefings. Alan Dulles often interceded with his good friend, the late Henry Luce, founder of Time and Life magazines, who readily allowed certain members of his staff to work for the agency and agreed to provide jobs and credentials for other CIA operatives who lacked journalistic experience. That's really interesting. So that's yeah. basically they're allowing these guys, which is, you know, good. This is how the CIA operates is that they can't always go into um, some country. <laughs> well, they never can go into the country right. and say, hey, I'm a, uh, I'm a CIA officer. So <laughs> especially not if they're going undercover. So if they're trying to do stuff that they uh, get access to, you know, certain people – it helps if they have credentials and, you know, job stuff. And 
you know, from Time Magazine. Up front. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is really interesting. Um, so I think I read most of the stuff that is important. There's a lot more about this stuff. This is a big one. So it truly but, was fake news. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily fake, but it was um, what the what our government wanted. And a lot of the propaganda, uh, you know, against the Soviet Union, which makes sense. But um, to kind of bring it in, I so uh, basically Operation Mockingbird was – the CIA's use of um, these newspapers and TV stations and um, extrapolate on <laughs> that to present day and yeah. think about some of the other stuff that we talked about, you know, um, different technology companies, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, so. If we talk about them, we're going to, this podcast will never find an ear to listen to it <laughs> because we'll get banned. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Which has already happened. Yeah, I was going to say it's already happened. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that, that was just a couple of the cool ones um, that I thought of that might be interesting that maybe some people might have not have heard of. Um, so that's all I got for right now. Well, cool. Um, I, there are, yeah, I took some notes for next week when I'm going to go some, over some of mine that I'm looking yeah, at. Yeah. So I got some good notes for that cool. that will key off of. But what's really cool about – I'm not cool, but what's interesting about that whole use of the media thing, I don't know if you saw that um, for the last couple months, there was a clip going going around on various uh, social media, and it was basically like all these newscasters. Saying the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was literally like 12 or 15, in the exact phrasing, the exact words and everything. And yeah. um, so that's like an example of what basically on a, you know, like that, like that's like a snapshot of like what they were trying to do with this mockingbird operation on a much larger scale. So they would basically create narratives and create, um, try and try and really build, um, like, uh, certain sentiments from the culture about mm. certain things, whether it be communism or Russia, you know, China, whoever the enemy was, and they would try and sway the the um the feelings right mm-hmm. and the opinions of 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 just everyday johnny q public using the yeah. media yeah and and good what's crazy is that there used to be a tremendous amount of power in print media in tv you know i mean when i was a kid i remember rosie sitting sitting you know every night we would turn the, the news on and you would listen to Walter Cronkite or, you know, Peter Jennings or one of these, you know, there was only like three, three networks, right? There was no CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, none of that stuff, you know? And, um, it definitely wasn't 24 hour a day news. So you'd get, you'd get what you got. And so it was much, you were much more hungry and much more gullible because the voices that you had to choose from were much fewer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But it was also a different time back then. Um, I was going to say like Peter Jennings or those guys were not uh, openly (laughs) partisan. It was the news was a lot more. This is the news. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is what's actually happening. Um, Which is why it made it so, uh, so amazing that they could get away with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was just probably very subtle, like little stories here, little stories there. 
and uh, they knew they you know I'm sure that the government studied responses to phrases and responses mm-hmm. to stories like this is a heart-wrenching one this is a whatever i mean obviously the media does that right yeah. they have a whole formula yeah and i was, I was gonna say uh so yeah and they and they definitely still do that now like uh <laughs> i don't want to talk about something that we said we weren't going to talk about but a current news story it is very interesting you can go out and you can see um Certain news agencies, and I don't think there's any necessarily big American ones that I can think of off the top of my head um, that were so open about it, but there were some news stories that you could tell were broadcasting propaganda for a uh, enemy country of ours, <laughs> um, are straight up pushing Chinese propaganda. That's what they were doing. And... Um, so the stuff definitely goes on. Other countries definitely do it. If you yeah. don't think that, um, you know, <laughs> the Russian, you know, Sputnik or RT, you know, doesn't push pro-Russian um, stuff, right. uh, you know, th- it's th- that's how it works. But uh, well, I mean, there was a there was a quote unquote Hong uh, Hong Kong reporter that was uh, when they did a little bit of digging. That found out that this person was actually part of of this what is it the communist what is cpn is that what it is cnp the communist, cpp cpp yeah um and they just were on assignment in in the white house to be yep. a reporter asking certain questions and totally got outed <laughs> like totally got outed um publicly uh, i'm sure i'm sure that the you know president staff knew long before that ever happened yeah there's uh, I would, it would blow my I mind if so. they didn't you know <laughs> it would blow yeah. my mind if they didn't <laughs> i'd be like wow but so yeah that's cool so there, man yeah there's a couple i i, I was intentional I, I guess i maybe my brain's going to uh yeah crap on the cia <laughs> today but uh, i was trying to pick a lot more i didn't realize how close they were related yeah. but uh yeah. there are literally thousands and thousands of stuff out there and yeah well it'll we'll definitely i look forward to hearing which ones you pick next time it'll be good <laughs> i hope they're as good <laughs> well and that, def- if it goes well i can pick up uh some even more <laughs> i'll try maybe do a third one we'll, we'll both try to find some more good ones yeah that'd be cool that'd be really cool there's so many out there yeah and it's just it's just kind of a fun this is a good departure from what we have been um, I do want to say uh, I'm preparing a study right now on the rapture. So mm. um, not uh, I'm we may have a guest on that is going to help us with that, or I may just do the study myself, but I'm, I want to do an episode on the rapture. Um, I've been being asked quite a bit um, about it and mm. uh, a lot of people are doubting it and all these other things. So I just wanted to, you know, put that in, our ear of our listeners that coming up, we have some episodes that, you know, we're going to get more varied again. And, uh, I think I just got tired of, I'm just tired of, of this stupid C word. Uh, yeah, me too. The virus. So anyhow, dude, it was fun. That was a cool episode. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Great research, man. (laughs) Thanks. Good job. (laughs) You always do a good job with that stuff. So, Man, all right. Anything else you want to add? No, no, I'm good. Okay.
Okay, cool. Well, that's another episode right there in the can. Yeah. So we'll catch you next time on All See Out. See you guys. War. Yep. See ya. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next time.